focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Wednesday reporters in Handan and Lee Ji-young. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. We're going to start things off with domestic politics this evening. Voting for the by-elections. Uh, this began to fill nine seats. Uh, this in five cities and provinces. Uh, Jiang, can you give us the details on uh, what voters need to know before casting their ballots? Sure. Now, the National Election Commission has announced that voting for the parliamentary, city council members, and local government posts by elections uh, has started today on April 5th and will be conducted and, uh, de at designated polling stations. Now, general voters can cast their ballots from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. by verifying their identification with the mobile ID or just the regular ID cards. Uh, COVID-19 patients, however, under quarantine um, can also vote after 8.30 p.m. until 9.30 p.m. So you have that one hour window if you have tested positive. Now, uh, they if you uh, have tested positive, you actually have to bring your ID card, of course, and also a positive COVID-19 test result uh, message to confirm your status. Um, however, taking pictures of ballots or posting them on social media is prohibited uh, inside the polling station. So if you want to post your participation on your social media, you can only take photos of your certification outside or at the entrance of the polling station. Now, there are a total of nine districts holding by-elections, including one National Assembly member position in Chunju, Cholabukdo province, two local council member positions in Kunsan, Cholabukdo province, and Puthang, Gyeongsangbukdo province, and one local mayor position in Changyang, Gyeongsangnamdo province, and one superintendent of education position in Ulsan, and also two metropolitan council member positions in Kumi, and so on. Now, early voting was held for two days from March 31st, so if you're in another city uh, or district, unfortunately, you would have to travel all the way to your original local polling station to cast your vote. Again, we're not seeing any of the major Seoul metro metropolitan areas uh, mm -hmm. up for grabs here. But, uh, Tan, uh, what are some of the hot seats stealing media attention and how are things looking for each of the candidates there? Well, the biggest wave of attention is, of course, being drawn to the one parliamentary seat up for grabs in the Cheonju B district that has been vacant since May last year. It remained vacant since opposition-turned-independent lawmaker Lee Sang-jik lost his seat after the Supreme Court confirmed a suspended prison sentence for his election law violations. All eyes are fixed on whether candidate Kang Song-hee of the Jinbo party will be able to clinch a victory, which will mark the first seat at the 21st National Assembly for the minor opposition party. Six candidates, including Kang, one from the ruling People Power Party, and two opposition-turned-independent candidates, Im Jong-yup and Kim Ho-seo, are vying for the position. According to a poll conducted last week, so that's before the start of the public opinion poll ban period, 
Kang and Im were neck and neck, competing within the margin of error, with Kang earning 28.5% of the votes, while Im won 26.7%. So that's a difference of only plus or minus 3.8%, which is within the margin of error. Uh, Please check the National Election Survey Deliberation Commission's website for further details on the poll results. But what's interesting to note is that there's not much of an election fever in Jeonju, uh, which is located in North Chola province, a traditional liberal stronghold. And this is obviously because the main opposition Democratic Party has not picked its candidate taking responsibility for the election law violations of the seat's predecessor, Lee Sang-jik. And so that effectively took away Jeonju residents' interest yeah. in casting their ballot. If we look at the numbers, the early voting rate from last Friday through to Saturday for the district stood at just a little over 10.5%. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, we often talk about, uh, anytime it's uh, election time, uh, we talk about how the, the Honam region is traditionally a liberal stronghold, and then you go to the TK, the PK, the Gyeongsangdo regions, it's a, a conservative stronghold, and it just doesn't change, right? So normally you would have the PPP, uh, the ruling party, and then you have the Democratic Party, and then you have the rest, right? You have like the Justice Party and so forth. And you have a list of other parties. In these liberal strongholds, even if the DP is not you know, up for grabs there, and then there's no candidates. For, they just refuse to vote for the uh, the conservative party, right? So they'll go to the next liberal party, which is why not mm-hmm. surprising that you're seeing that the Chimbu party, and that also holds true if you go to like Tegu, right? Uh, they'll much rather pick someone uh, that is not from the uh, liberal side of things, and they'll go independent or like another conservative party. Uh, but another seat, speaking of conservative. Uh, another seat at the center of attention is one for the educational superintendent in the southeastern city of Ursan. Town also tell us about this. Right. The predecessor, Dool Ki, who was the first ever liberal politician to win the seat in conservative city of Ursan, died of cardiac arrest in December last year. And the point of interest here is whether another liberal candidate will be able to succeed her. During the local elections held in June last year, the number of le- left-wing educational superintendent seats nationwide dropped sharply from 14 to 9. Uh, and in the southern uh, industrial city of Ulsan, No's husband and liberal politician Chen Changsu wow. will compete against conservative Kim Ju Hong, who lost against Do last year. That is quite interesting. So you're talking about the uh, the husband of uh, Nohoki who's running right. for this particular seat here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll try to see what kind of results we'll get. And uh, when we do get the final results, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk about this on our program here, and especially on Focus on Headline. Uh, coming back again, talking about some uh, other news related to South Korea. Uh, it has been raining since a Tuesday evening, uh, just before we're closing off the program yesterday. We played the song uh, called A Welcome Rain, and uh, we're saying we were in high demand of precipitation because we see, mm-hmm. we've been seeing a drought across the country. We've seen all these wildfires. Uh, but now it's been reported that Jeju Island is experiencing a wave of flight cancellations because the weather conditions continue to worsen here. Chiang, can you t- give us an update on the situation at Jeju Airport and also how travelers are being affected by this? Sure. Now, as of 9 a.m. on the 5th uh, today, on Wednesday, according to the Korea Airports Corporation, a total 
of 31 domestic flights were canceled at Jeju International Airport due to the strong winds, and a total of 167 flights were canceled in advance by airlines such as Korean Air, Asiana, uh, Tway, and Jin Air. Now, the weather has caused strong winds and sudden gusts, making it difficult for flights to take off and land safely. Now, the airport meteorological uh, meteorological office explained that there are extremely strong winds of up to uh, 50 knots, which is 25.7 meters per second, uh, which are equivalent to a tropical storm blowing in the airspace around the airport. Now, the Jeju Airport authorities have warned that sudden gusts can occur without sufficient warning time for pilots to react, uh, potentially leading to accidents. So when sudden gusts are observed or expected between uh, 1,600 feet above the ground, um, a gust alert, which is not included in the routine weather forecast, is issued uh, for the passengers and also for the crew's safety. Again, uh, we've talked about how we've been seeing opposite ends of extremes in the weather. We'll get a you know wave of drought and then we'll get massive precipitation. But it seems that the entire country is experiencing this weather-related issue here. But uh, I mean, some people are saying this is welcoming, right? It is mm-hmm. welcoming to see finally rain nationwide because of all the the, the wildfires that uh, we've been experiencing. But again, we're experiencing a whole lot of rainfall is the other problem. So what is the latest on the nationwide rainfall? Sure. Now, as you mentioned, SJ, um, heavy rain has been pouring down all over the country since Tuesday evening and uh, causing a number of problems. Uh, according to the Korea Meteorological Administration, uh, the rainfall is expected to continue Continue until the 6th, and some areas experience up to 200 millimeter, millimeters of rainfall. And as of this morning, uh, Jeju's Halasan Mountain has already received uh, 309.5 millimeters of rain in just over 24 hours, and other areas of Jeju Island have recorded 100 to 300 millimeters of rainfall. Now, in Pundang, uh, in Songnam City, near uh, Seoul, a pedestrian walkway on the local creek bridge collapsed this morning, resulting in two people falling from the bridge and one woman in her 40s dying from cardiac arrest. Now, another man in his 20s was just injured and taken to the hospital, so it would be wise to refrain from outdoor activities until tomorrow when the rain completely stops. Now, again, I do understand that uh, Prime Minister uh, Han Duk-su yesterday instructed authorities to take uh, thorough measures to prevent damage from uh, heavy rains. We've talked about uh, last year there was a whole lot of rain uh, Mm -hmm. in the central regions, whereas the southern regions uh, saw a bit of drought. It's it's weird because I was was going to um, a hospital to get, uh, what is it, acupuncture for my back, and then like, I live in Anyang and it was flooded. And I was like, how was it flooded? It wasn't raining. What's happening is a lot of the sewers, you know, like uh, the once it started uh, raining, the uh, the cherry blossom petals yeah. are all, they're <sighs> clogging up uh, basically the sewers. Oh, uh, wow. And not to mention all the foliage from the, the winter and things like that. Not it's a clogged. very good time mm-hmm. to no, receive down from Yeah, it's, it's really not. And so uh, I think that's another thing that they're looking at. And as you know, when, you know, the roads flood, uh, we've seen what happened in Seoul uh, yeah. last year as well. Uh, But the thing about spring season 
uh, I'm not a big fan of. And I, I know a lot of our listeners uh, yesterday saw what I was going through yesterday. <laughs> uh, bad hay fever is what I was going through. Um, but usually I, I get hay, hay fever come around like end of uh, April, uh, beginning of May. Uh, I was saying that it came sort of a little bit early, even for myself here. But what we're seeing is because of this unusually warm weather that we've been seeing in the past few weeks, flowers are blooming earlier than the seasonal norms. Uh, Don, the weather agency has unveiled the reason why. Uh, do tell us because I'm suffering here. Well, the answer is simple. It's because we saw the warmest month of March in over five decades, in 51 years to be exact. The Korea Meteorological Administration says the country saw an average temperature of 9.4 degrees Celsius nationwide last month, which marked the highest for March since first data in 1973. The temperature is 0.7 degrees higher than the previous record set in 2021 and 3.0. 0.3 degrees Celsius higher than the seasonal norms. The agency explains convective activity was unusually active in the tropical Indian Ocean and the Western Pacific last month, resulting in strong updrafts, while downdrafts formed from Central Asia to East Asia, and this led to a wide anticyclonic circulation driving up the temperatures across Eurasia, including the Korean Peninsula. Amid the higher than usual readings, flowers bloomed early and simultaneously. Cherry blossoms, for instance, bloomed on March 19th in the southern regions, the earliest on record. Uh, And here in the capital city, they bloomed on the 25th, the second earliest on record. On average, cherry blossoms bloomed two weeks earlier than the seasonal norms. Uh, Azaleas bloomed nine days earlier than usual last month, while forsythias, or tiger lilies, bloomed six days earlier. And normally, spring flowers in Korea, uh, if you're very much interested in flowers, you'll probably know this, they bloom in a particular order. They, mm-hmm. they bloom in the order of forsythia first, and then comes azaleas, and then cherry blossoms. But they all bloomed at once during similar periods last month, offering a rare sight for flower enthusiasts. Maybe flower enthusiasts might have been uh, excited over the, the early welcome of these flowers. But again, these are signs that the, the climate crisis is getting uh, more severe. And... Uh, we were just saying that, I mean, what was it? That the temperature that we had, uh, was it a Friday or Saturday? It was Saturday that was really mm-hmm. hot. 26 degrees Celsius is yeah. not the kind of temperature you, you see, see in April. No, you, you just don't. It was, it was, in, right. it was, it was in March, at the yeah. end of March. It was the end of March, right? Yeah. Friday was uh, March 31st, and that was like 25 degrees or something like that. And then right. come Sunday, uh, Saturday, which was April 1st, it was 26 degrees. And again, these are temperatures that you normally see maybe sometime around like July, June, July-ish, right? Mm-hmm. June, I mean, it gets actually even hotter. So a lot of people are also expecting maybe this summer we might see some of the hottest summer, mm-hmm. uh, summers that we've experienced, and it's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter again we've talked about how we're seeing these heavy downpours uh in some of these region uh but again 
until yesterday, I mean, we just saw very little rain, and this was the big problem. We were hoping for some rain. We had all these wildfires, uh, contained dry spells across the country, resulting in, again, dozens of wildfires. But do tell us about the low precipitations that we have been seeing in spring as well, Tan. Sure. The Weather Agency explains that the low amount of rainfall was due to the high pressure that developed from Korea's east to west, which forced low pressure to cross the peninsula from the north and the south. Korea saw slightly more than 28 millimeters of rain nationwide last month, which was the eighth smallest amount on record. The figure is just half of the seasonal average, which which stands at over 56 millimeters. In terms of the number of days it rained, it was the lowest on record. It rained for just about three days last month, uh, which is four days less than the seasonal average. Yeah, again, the, the problem is is that uh, we get these precipitation uh, in large groups, right? Uh, and uh, I remember last uh, summer, it was like uh, we've had a dry spell for quite a time, and then we were bombarded right. with just, you know, uh, was it like two, two, uh, almost 300 millimeters of rain was like put, there was a downpour of about two or 300 millimeters mm-hmm. in a span of a week. You don't see that in a span of a week. And so really concerning. And uh, there are some people out there who still deny that there is environmental issues. There's a climate uh, crisis going on here, but these are all evidence that we're seeing this right now and it will uh, continue to get worse and worse over time if we don't make any changes. Right, you know, it'd be really nice if we can have some balance, but it yeah. looks like we're going from extreme to extreme yeah. in many cases. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's the, that's that's and, and I do agree, that's that's just the consequences of, of, of uh, the this, cri- this climate issue right. and right. and all of this, this also we're going to be talking about this soon, but this energy crisis as well. Yeah, and we talk about rain. I mean, we, we like for us, like in the Seoul metropolitan area, it didn't rain a lot, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, it was drizzling. And I mean, it was like, I don't know how many millimeters, but it was like the Southern regions that were affected by it. And still the central region is still heavily uh, affected by this drought. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, in, in a lot of these places where they're heavily relying on agriculture, it is going to also imp- impact the agriculture prices, right? We talk right. about the consumer prices. If there's uh, very little rain and the, the vegetables don't get, you know, they don't grow like they're supposed to, price goes up. If there's too much rain and then the, the farms all get ruined, prices go up. And so again, we can't be seeing uh, the two ends of the extreme here. But unfortunately, this is uh, the trend that we've been seeing in the past few years uh, with Again, as Jiang hinted here, uh, cold winter months behind us, uh, which means that we uh, haven't been turning on my what's called the boiler, the, the, the boilers, right? The, the heating system that we have uh, here in Korea. So we don't have to worry about that. But now we have to worry about the electricity bills, right? Uh, but it does look like that relief may be short-lived as a new report suggests that we could see a rise in the household energy costs this year. Jiang, uh, do give us more details on this. Yes. Now, uh, we might think that since the the weather is getting warmer, we're going to be using less energy. But according to this report, that is not going to be true. Uh, The recent report by the Energy Economics Institute says that it looks like we might be actually facing higher gas and electricity prices this year, despite a temporary freeze on price increases during the first half of the year. Now, the report projects that even the minimum increase gas and electricity spending per household this year will be higher than last year's spending. So what does this mean for households in Korea? Well, the report forecasts that the annual average expenditure for urban gas used for heating 
will increase by 22.9% to 30.4% compared to last year. And if gas prices remain at the current level of 19.71 per megajoule without any additional price increases, uh, the annual gas expenditure per household is expected to increase from 405,000 won, which is approximately 341 U.S. dollars last year, to uh, 504,000 won, which is approximately 424 dollars this year. And this is a 22.9 percent increase in one year. Now, the report also suggests that the ho- uh, the per household expenditure on electricity will increase by 17.5% to 23.5% compared to last year. And if there are no additional price increases from the second quarter to the fourth quarter, based on the assumption that monthly electricity usage per household remains uh, same as last year, the per household ex- electricity expenditure is expected to increase increase from 334,000 won, uh, which is approximately 281 U.S. dollars last year, to 392,000 Korean won, which is approximately $330 this year, which is a 17.5% increase in only one year. And all of this just means that it might be good a good idea for households to start thinking about ways to reduce energy consumption and save costs. And the report recommends that the government should think about uh, supporting vulnerable households that use pricier fuels like kerosene and propane gas by helping them switch to a more affordable energy source. And for everybody else like you and I, it might be a good time to start looking into uh, energy efficient appliances and other ways to save on energy costs. Yeah, the problem is, uh, again, we've been talking about how summer temperatures have been rising and it's just getting hotter and hotter. Mm -hmm. And so like, for example, like today, it's April 5th today. Uh, Usually we have uh, the studio turn on the air conditioner uh, at around like maybe May May, June-ish is when mm-hmm. the, the, the air conditioner, it's on right now. It's actually pretty hot right now, despite the fact that it's raining outside. I was actually sweating in, in on Subway on yeah. my way here today. Yeah, oh, wow. absolutely. It was that hot. Yeah. The temperatures were that high <laughs> already. And, and so we, we have no other choice but to turn on the air conditioner, right? I mean, there, I know there's some households out there that, uh, you know, try not to use the air conditioner. One of the options that I saw that people were looking into, but there's also a lot of people fighting this, is... Uh, solar panels on apartments. So they were saying you're able to have these like smaller solar panels that are installed uh, near your uh, the balcony area or the window area mm-hmm. and then use that to generate energy. But the problem with that is residents are very much against it. They said it looks ugly. And I'm going... Is really the aesthetics the important thing right now? Uh, I don't really mind about the visual um, impact, if you will. But... I think the real problem is efficiency. It, yeah, I heard that it, it, it's it's it, that compared to uh, the, the the size of mm-hmm. the panel, yeah. it doesn't generate it's that much no. that much no. energy to really be sufficient right. enough to kind of 
not used yeah. uh, electricity. Well, if they're able to have that individually and then on the rooftops have the, the big uh, solar right. panels mm-hmm. uh, installed. But again, I mean, I, I, that's the efficiency, I think, was like the least of their problems. They kept on talking about the that's aesthetics outrageous. of it. Which is, which... <laughs> if it was the aesthetics was the number one reason. Don't mind. <laughs> yeah. It just looks very eco-friendly. Right. Yeah. And well, they that's go, all. it's going to make us, uh, our prices, our real estate prices drop is mm. what they say. And I don't understand. But yet you're paying so much for electricity if you don't, you know, if we don't find other options, but uh, that is what we're going through. Uh, Speaking of electricity, the Korea Electric Power Corporation, or KEPCO for short, uh, of course, we've been talking about how they're faced with a debt crisis amid the continued delay of electricity rate hike. Um, The debt is snowballing. Let's Mm -hmm. just put it at that. But it's having less and less room to borrow money through corporate bonds, uh, going in and around a vicious cycle. Town, uh, you have more on this. Right. South Koreans are very concerned about the looming electricity rate hikes, but markets are becoming increasingly worried about the snowballing corporate bonds issued by KEPCO to keep the company afloat from its record-level deficit. The balance of KEPCO bonds as of the end of last month was tallied at 68.3 trillion won, or over 52 billion U.S. dollars, up by a whopping 72 percent compared to the same the year before. The total issuance amount in the first quarter of this year was 8.1 trillion won or about $6 billion, up about 17% from the same period last year. KEPCO's corporate bonds have been referred to as a black hole in the market, absorbing liquidity with their high interest rates. The Energy Ministry warned that the increased issuance of the KEPCO bonds could potentially strain the corporate bonds market market and add to uncertainties in local financial markets that continue to struggle from the Legoland triggered liquidity mm. crunch. Now, adding to the pressure is Kepco's limits on its issuance of corporate bonds under the current law. KEPCO is prohibited from issuing corporate bonds worth more than five times its own capital and reserves. This means KEPCO will no longer be able to issue bonds come next year if its deficit exceeds five trillion one this year. Markets and analysts alike uh, are beginning uh, to be more worried, pointing out that KEPCO won't be able to go on for much longer without raising rates. According to NH Investment and Securities, KEPCO's operating loss for this year is estimated to be uh, 12.6 trillion won, a significant increase from the previous estimate of 8.6 trillion won. Uh, but analysts also say that as demand in the market is still strong, the supply of KEPCO bonds is being digested to uh, in a decent level. They say that as the recent global financial instability has resulted in investors' strong preference for safe assets and major players, there is uh, still not, you know, no major problem in securing mm. demand despite the burden of snowballing KEPCO bonds. So we'll have to see how it goes. In the meantime, uh, the Korean stock market as a whole experiencing a huge loss due to last year's uh, record deficit of 33 trillion won. This comes out to 27.6 billion US dollars, ladies and gentlemen. This is from the uh, Korea Electric Power Corporation or KEPCO. Uh, Jiang, do tell us more about this. Sure. Now, the Korean stock market as a whole, as you mentioned, took a big hit last year thanks to a whopping 27.6 billion dollar deficit from KEPCO. Now this caused 691 companies listed on the Kospi stock exchange to experience a significant decline 
decrease in their operating and net profits with dropping by 36%. Now, this is the first time that 20 uh, since 2019 that Kospi listed companies have seen such a drop in profits. But if you exclude Kepco, the losses for listed companies weren't as bad. Uh, operating operating profits dropped by 10.8% and Net profits dropped by 14.5%. Uh, that is, of course, still a big increase, but it's much better than the over, overall numbers uh, that uh, were recorded last year. Now, Kepco's uh, deficit was so massive that it made up a whopping 84% of, of all losses in Kospi companies. Um this was despite the fact that the government froze electricity rates in the face of rising global commodity prices. Now, in addition to Kepco, uh, several other industries saw big drops in profits as well, including steel, construction, and semiconductor companies. Now, the strong Korean won and rising prices also hurt export-focused companies, which include the semiconductor and construction companies. Now, looking forward, uh, it's expected that companies will continue to struggle in the first quarter of this year, with some predicting that Kepco alone will experience over 12 billion U.S. dollars in losses. So that's why experts say that um, the uh, we should invest more heavily. Uh, the government should invest more heavily in renewable energy, which could help reduce the country's dependence on fossil fuels and nuclear power. And for companies, uh, this would be a time to adapt to changing market conditions and find new ways to innovate and grow. For a second, I thought you were choking up because you invested in Kepco or something like that. But, <laughs> but uh, no, and you know what else is affected by the uh, the decline in the, uh, the the Korean stock markets is uh, the NHS, right? The national, uh, sorry, NPS, uh, the National Pension System, mm -hmm. uh, which. Uh, when we talk about the institutional investors, the NPS, you know, they try to generate profit, try to generate money through mm -hmm. uh, investments into stocks. And uh, they were saying that because it was uh, a pretty bad year last year and we've actually been seeing a pretty bad market actually for more than a year now, uh, they've lost out on a lot of these profits. And so, you know, it's it's an endless cycle. We're... It used to be so good, right, ladies and gentlemen, when everybody were uh, into, uh, you know, investing in stocks and everyone was a uh, stock analyst for some reason. But mm -hmm. uh, we, we are certainly not seeing this right now. We're hopefully yeah. seeing uh, we'll be uh, hopefully be able to see a uh, uptick in the, uh, the the stock stock markets again. Yeah. Uh, moving on here, the U.S. government. Um, we've talked about uh, this issue in the past, uh, blocking South Korea's independent export of uh, nuclear plants, the Czech Republic requesting Korea to first consult with the U.S.-based Westinghouse Electric Company, which claims ownership of Korea's nuclear power technology. Now, KHNP uh, sent the U.S. Uh, letter to the U.S. firm saying that it's ready to talk. Uh, Don, what is the latest on this? Well, the KHNP's export plan to the Czech Republic has tripped over the red tape of the U.S. government, according to a document submitted by the company to a U.S. federal court in Washington on Tuesday. The company submitted information regarding its bid for the Czech Republic's nuclear reactor project to the U.S. Department of Energy in December last year. The Mission is in line with a U.S. federal regulation that imposes an obligation to obtain permission or report 
to the U.S. Department of Energy when certain nuclear power technology subject to export controls is transferred to a foreign country. But the department sent back its reply and refused to accept the report, saying that such a report should be submitted by a quote-unquote a U.S. entity, implying that KHNP should first consult with U.S.-based Westinghouse Electric Company. This means KHNP must reach an agreement with Westinghouse, which claims ownership of Korea's nuclear power technology in order to export Korea's nuclear power plants to the Czech Republic. Westinghouse, which has filed a lawsuit against KHNP, maintains that the South Korean company must obtain its approval as well as that of the U.S. Department of Energy to export reactors that were developed using Westinghouse's key nuclear technologies. KHNP says it received help from Westinghouse during the initial stages of nuclear reactor development, but argues that the model it is currently trying to export has been developed using its own, Korea's own technology in the later stages. So the key here is whether the Korean nuclear power plant uses Westinghouse technology or was independently built with uh, using Korea's own technologies. The KHNP sent a letter to the Westinghouse saying it's ready to talk and we'll have to see how things go. But it looks like it looks like it won't be smooth sailing. I mean, I mean, but hopefully they will be able to find a way to prove that it was built using Korean technology and Korean technology yeah. only. Yeah, and, and, and this was a big issue last year when they they Poland? started this pro- right. pro- project in the first place. And West, um, um, Westinghouse West threw a monkey wrench. And this isn't the first uh, lawsuit they filed. Right, right. And they filed that lawsuit and I thought everything was okay and they settled and they were on the same page. But this is just a surprise that they're yeah. um, throwing another monkey wrench. We're going to move on here. Uh, we're going to talk about UN Human Rights Council having adopted a resolution on human rights, uh, North Korean human rights. Uh, this has been co-sponsored by South Korea for the first time in five years. Uh, Cheung Du, tell us more about this. Sure. Now, the resolution was adopted without a vote during the 56th meeting of the 47-member so council held in Geneva. Now, the resolution was adopted by consensus, which means all 47 member states of the council agreed to it. Now, this is significant because in the past, some member states have abstained or voted against similar resolutions on North Korean human rights. Uh, This time, all member states agreed on the need to condemn the widespread and systematic human rights violations and crimes against humanity in North Korea and to call for improvements. Now, it specifically highlights the need for North Korea to respect the right to seek and receive information, including through independent media, and to review and consider its ban on content produced outside the country. Now, the resolution also includes new clauses addressing the issue of cultural censorship in North Korea and calling for a review of laws and 
practices that suppressed uh, freedom of thought, uh, conscious religion, uh, belief, and also freedom of expression. Now, it also urges the country to address human rights violations against detainees, forced labor, uh, discrimination based on social class, and of course, the issue of forcibly disappeared individuals. Of course, uh, very quickly, because we are running out of time right now, uh, South Korea's welcomed the resolution. North Korea's, of course, refused to accept the resolution here. Uh, quickly moving on, this is major news. Finland becoming the 31st member of NATO's security alliance, uh, doubling the length of member states' borders with Russia. Now, Russia warned that it would be watching Finland closely, slamming NATO's expansion as a violation of uh, Russia's security and its national interests. Uh, Don, uh, quickly give us a, a look into this. Right, so Finland has become the 31st member of NATO after Finnish Foreign Minister Pekka Havisto handed the accession document to the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who declared Finland a member. Uh, Finland shares over 1,300 kilometers of its eastern frontier with Russia, and after the war in Ukraine began, Helsinki chose the protection of NATO's Article 5, which says an attack on one member is an attack on all. In effect, uh, it means if Finland were invaded or attacked, all NATO members, including the U.S., would come to its aid. Uh, Russia's invasion prompted a surge in Finnish public opinion towards joining NATO to 80% in favor. Finnish president said it's a great day for Finland, proclaiming a new era for his country, while NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said this will make Finland safer and NATO stronger. And uh, as you briefly mentioned, Finland's accession is a setback for Russia's Vladimir Putin and uh, NATO's expansion he said, is is uh, is his full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Before the full-scale invasion, he had repeatedly complained of NATO's expansion. Um, and Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov warned that Russia would be watching Finland closely, slamming NATO's enlargement as a violation of Russia's security. And that was one of the, the reasons used by Russia in their uh, invasion of Ukraine, because uh, Ukraine has tried to uh, sign up for NATO, right, mm -hmm. which uh, NATO has not yet approved that for many years now. Guys, thank you very much for your reports today. Stay safe and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.